So my name is Walter, I'm a pastor here at Homes Avenue. I'm grateful you guys for joining us today. Uh, we're going to be continuing our series in the book of James, uh, looking at uh, the idea of faith in action. Uh, James is a challenging book for each and every one of us. I hope that it's been uh, beneficial for you and your walk. And as we're looking at this, uh, I would like you to look over to James uh, chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. Uh, we're going to read these verses and continue our study today. So if you would, would you stand with me as we read God's word together? James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until he receives the early and late. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. If you would, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today and for the grace that you've shown us. Thank you for allowing us to study the book of James, to see this reflection of how we're to live. Father, I pray today as we continue through this, this book that you would reveal your truth to us, that you would show us these examples of patient endurance that we're to display, that you'll show us that in the midst of life's difficulties and struggles, that you're working in our midst, that you are allowing us, leading us through these difficult times so that we may become more like you. Father, we are grateful for the grace and mercy you've shown us. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. All right, if you guys would, you can have a seat. So today as we're looking at this passage, we're looking at this idea of patient endurance. And I don't know about you, but patience is something that I would say I'm rather short on in my life. Uh, maybe you feel the same way. We live in such a fast-paced culture that things are moving so quickly. You know, if you remember the days of dial-up internet, you know the struggles of patience. Now, even today, I found that with being spoiled with things like two-day shipping from Amazon and all these other things, that I get frustrated when I don't get tracking information, right? Like, it's supposed to be here in two days. Why is it not here yet, right? I, I even see this in my kids and... and uh, Perry in particular is difficult with this because Perry's always hungry, as young men are, right? And Perry will look at you and go, Dad, I'm hungry. And of course, if it's close to dinner time, we're going to wait, right? Maybe we're only an hour to dinner. An hour? Oh my gosh, I'm going to die. One, he can't tell time. But two, he's going to starve to death in an hour, right? He's very dramatic. I don't know where he gets it from. Patience is a challenge for us. Perhaps you have felt that same way in other areas. Uh, that it is difficult to wait. It is difficult to, to sit quietly and allow things to happen and come to fruition. Now, that's just when things are good, right? I don't urgently need that package. My son is not going to starve in an hour. These are okay times. These are good times to have to be patient in. Yet, when there is difficulty and struggles that we're facing, and we're required to be patient as we go through those, this becomes to be a bit harder, right? That it's a little more challenging to be patient when the thing that we're trying to patiently endure is a hardship. 
It's a challenge to wait quietly, to persist in the Lord when things are going difficultly for us. James recognizes that tension we feel, that we are called simultaneously to be patient and endure even in the midst of suffering. James is seeing that even now he is telling us that there are answers to this. And we're able to endure in this midst because of some promises that God has made to us. If you would, look with me as we begin our first point today. We've got three points if you're taking notes. Uh, the first point is that we endure because God is sustaining us. We endure because God is sustaining us. Look with me at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. So as James is beginning his, continuing his time of teaching here, he's building off of the statements he made last week to those that are the rich. Uh, he's given these warnings to the rich and, and spoken about the judgment that's coming upon them. And now he's speaking to the poor, the farmers, those who have been oppressed by these people. And he's telling them that in verse 7 to keep this idea of long-suffering in front of you. You see, the picture that James paints for us is this idea of being a farmer. I don't know if you've ever planted a garden or had anything that you've done in, in a garden, but let me tell you, having a garden or being a farmer requires you to be patient. You plant for the summer season in April, May, and you don't see any harvest from that, any fruits of your labor, sometimes until July or August. That it can be a full two to three months before you start to see anything come to fruition besides weeds growing and things happening. That to be a farmer requires patience. It requires you to continue to labor day in and day out without knowing what the end result will be. This is what James is urging his listeners to, to lean into. This idea of long-suffering, this idea that though it may be hard and you will wait for perhaps many, many years, justice will occur. That you are going to have to endure difficulty and trials, but this is a part of the process that God is shaping you and making you into the person He wants you to be. You see, these people, just like us, struggle with this idea of justice. That I think as individuals, we have strong senses of justice that we want what is wrong, done wrong to us to be made right. We want those things that would come upon us, these difficulties, these struggles that are brought by other people to be done away with. That we want justice to be done in our lives. And James would say, get off your high horse, sit down, and be patient. Look with me at verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So he tells us to be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What James is reminding the listeners, that is you and I, is that one day God is going to return and justice will be proclaimed. Justice will be brought forth onto this earth. You see, we are tempted to despair, to pursue vengeance on our own. But James is saying, no, be patient. Because one day, the one who created justice, the one who is perfectly just, will come back and make things right. He's saying, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 
that has built out this idea of patiently enduring and waiting for God to make things right. I know that's so counter to our world today, right? That this is a world that we live in where if you want something done right, you need to do it yourself. Yet what James would tell us is that if you want this to be done right, you'll wait for the Lord to do this. That you'll wait upon Him to move provide justice for you. Furthermore, he's saying that in this idea of justice coming, that it's all rooted in this idea of God's sovereignty. That is that God is in control over all, that God is working in the midst of this world, that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. This requires us to submit to a God who is at work in this world and say that he is in control of each and everything that is happening. Now, I know this flies into the face of modern culture, right? Depending upon what news sources you're watching, where you're getting information from, you see really two viewpoints from the world today. One, there are incredibly pessimistic viewpoints, right? The world is terrible. It's never been this bad. It's only getting worse. Our country is in ruins. Our civilization is crumbling. Woe is me. Woe are the people who are crying this out, right? It's an extremely pessimistic view of the world. You look at other sources and you see this, this incredibly optimistic view. The world has never been better. Our country is perfect. Things are going great. Yay, yay, yay. world is good. Now, the problem with both of those is that they're both wrong at the end of the day. That those two viewpoints being pushed by modern culture, that you have to be pessimistic or that you must be optimistic, is a lie. That as we're studying and contrasting this with the biblical view, we have to recognize that the biblical view calls us to be realistic. That the truth is, the world is struggling in many areas. Our people, our country are struggling in many areas. Yet there is still good in this world. God is still doing things. We hear stories, we see things that are incredible stories of hope and life being brought into this world. That it allows us to be realistic and recognize that though this world has its struggles that are brought to it by sin, there is a great God who is working in this world to bring restoration to every wrong, to bring hope to every person, to bring life to each and every person who would trust in Jesus. You see, this is grounded in the gospel of Christ. This viewpoint of the world is rooted in the fact that this life is not all we have. That if this life is all you have, then you have to be pessimistic. You have to be optimistic. But rather, if there is one to come, you are able to patiently endure and be realistic about the things you face. Yes, times are hard. Yes, we have struggles. Yes, there are painful moments in this life. But none of these compare to the life that is to come. That is eternity being anchored with Christ, gathered around the throne, celebrating the finished work of Christ, knowing that sin has been defeated, knowing that heaven reigns for eternity, and that sin and Satan has been cast away. You see, this view requires us to cling to God, that we have to cling tightly and closely to God. And it's against this whole American ideal of we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. We made something of ourselves. I did this. Look at what I've done. Look at how hard I've worked. 
I don't want to devalue those things, but the truth of the matter is that you're not going to build a solid rock on your own works and, and labors. The only solid rock we have to cling to to build upon is that of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus. You see, Jesus forewarned us about these struggles that we would face. In Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26, he says, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You see, Jesus himself proclaimed these words to us in the book of Matthew and tells us that indeed in this life, if you're going to labor and toil and try to build up something for yourself in this life so that you can say, I will endure, so that I can say, I have done something, those things are meaningless. That you may gain everything in this life and lose it all in the next. That we as followers of Christ must endure because we trust that God is sustaining us. We see that he's sustaining us not only through this life, but he's sustaining us into the next. That is eternity with him. That we keep our eyes on a future goal, not just this present and current circumstance. Now, James doesn't end there. He continues with us into the following verses. And in these verses, we're going to see that we endure because God is not finished in our world. God is not finished. Look with me at verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers... Take the prophets who spoke of the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. See, James, as he's writing to his, these people who are listening, he calls out these prophets of old. As you perhaps read through the Old Testament, you've seen some of these prophets. These are people like, Moses and Jeremiah and these people that you would hear, these great people of the Old Testament. And in each and every one of these prophets' lives, they endured difficulty and struggles. In fact, most of our, our prophets that we see uh, face death for the things that they proclaim about the things of Christ and of the gospel of God. That in the Old Testament, if you're not familiar with it, we see this continual struggle that Israel has with his prophets. Israel begins to sin, and God sends a prophet to call out that sin. And Israel either listens or rejects that prophet. Oftentimes when they reject him, they've killed him. And then they continue this cycle. Sometimes they repent. Other times they get lost in their sin again, and then the prophet comes again. It's just this cycle throughout the Old Testament of Israel sinning, a prophet coming, and then rejecting and responding to him. And then going back into sin and beginning again. You see... These prophets that we would look at and we would praise and that James is pointing us to endured many struggles and toils. That they had difficulty that they faced. They had hardships that they struggled in. And it is because the way that they faced these hardships, their steadfastness that they displayed, James would say, we declare them to be favored by God. We look upon them and say, these are the people we want to be like. We want to be like these prophets who stand firm against hardship who proclaim the good news of the gospel of Christ. We want to be like these men and women we've seen come before us. 
And he gives us this prime example of Job. Uh, perhaps you've read the book of Job. Uh, it's a lengthy book, I know, but about 40 chapters or so. And uh, in this, as you read this, um, you see some things in here. Just going to give you Cliff Notes version of the book of Job. Uh, in it, we see in the very first chapter that uh, Satan himself comes to God and says, Your people only love you because you give them great things, because you're nice to them. I'm paraphrasing, please. Um, and, and so Satan says this to him, and God says, Some may be that way, but there is one who will stand firm in all the world, and his name is Job. Do what you will to him. Don't take his life, but anything else is fair game. And I will submit to you today that he will stand firm against you, Satan. And so Satan comes in and, and wrecks his life, takes away his family, takes away his home, takes away his land, leaves him sitting destitute in sackcloth. And he's sitting there in the middle of a field going, why is this happening, God? And in the field, God answers him and says, this is happening so that you may display my steadfast love. So that you would display the goodness of God. So that people could see my sovereignty and control in this. So that though you are in hardship, the world will look upon you and go, my, how God has moved. And Job, in the midst of this, stands faithful. But he never does reject God. And in the end, God provides restoration to him. God provides everything he has taken from him in abundance. Now, as we look at that, that's the 30,000 foot view of the book of Job. James would have us here look at and remind us of the purpose of the book of Job. That we've seen the purpose of the Lord through the book of Job by remembering the goodness and sovereignty of God. That in this book, we see Job experience restoration just like God's people will experience restoration. You see, James is telling us that we're able to endure this world because God is not finished. That is... Restoration is coming for you and I. That one day, God is going to make things right. That one day, we will no longer struggle with the things of sin and despair and heartbreak because God will end those things. That when I say God will end those things, that he's pointed to this idea that Jesus is going to return one day. And he comes back not as this shepherd, but as a warrior. He comes back with a sword on a war horse coming to end sin. He slays Satan. He casts him into the pit of fire. And from there, we see the new heavens and the new earth brought into the world. That is, perfection is brought back. And we live as followers of Christ with that perfection for all eternity from that day forward. That is a picture of what this restoration will look like. And so James is reminding us that we endure because God is not finished, that restoration has not come. We are able to endure anticipating God's promised restoration coming. Restoring all people into right standing with him. Restoring all things into right position with him. That this is the message James is telling us. We endure because God is still working. Now, as we look at this, so often we want to get to the end of Job without living the rest of it, right? We want to live in that restoration, that joy, that excitement of God having brought things to us, having brought us into a right standing. But we don't want to have the hardships and the struggles that get us there. You see, we want to rest in God's triumph without the suffering and hardships along the way. 
Yet Romans chapter 5 would tell us differently. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 say, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. You see, our suffering and struggles have real meaning in this life. They have real meaning because in them, God is doing this peculiar work in us where he is shaping us and making us into the person that he wants us to be. That as we look back on these prophets of the Old Testament, using Job as a prime example, we say that every one of them are people we want to be like because of the end result. That is, they were steadfast and faithful to God. How did they get proven to be steadfast and faithful? Because they suffered and been tried. That indeed, if you and I want to be called steadfast and faithful to God, that requires us to go through suffering and difficulty and to patiently endure as God is working out His goodness and grace to us in those times. Now, I know that that's perhaps contrary to the things that you want to hear. That's certainly contrary to the things of this world where they would tell us that you must gain greatness in this life through hard work and effort. Yet what Jesus would say, what the gospel message would say, you gain greatness in this life by laying down your life and persisting in letting God work in your midst. You see, here's the truth of, of this message. For many of you, for many of us, we've experienced hardships. That you've had difficult, challenging lives. That there are things that many of you wrestle with that I can't even fathom. There are things that you've struggled with that you have endured that I have no understanding of. And God would tell us those things that you have suffered and endured in, those hardships and trials, were intended to bring you to this moment. Were intended to bring you to this point in your life. So that you may draw this breath today and know that He is still working in your midst. That He is working on you. You see, while you and I draw breath, he's still working in us. He's not finished yet. And where there is life, there is hope. And this hope's name is Jesus. That this hope's name is Jesus Christ. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, what James is pointing us to is the same thing that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, that in this life we endure because God is not finished with us. And if God is not finished with you and he is still working in your life and he is still changing things in there, then we must trust that he is trying to reconcile us to himself. 
that if you're here and you're a believer, then continue to be reconciled with God by repenting of your sin, by continuing to trust Him, by continuing to walk with Him. If you're here and you're not a believer, and perhaps you say, I don't know the things of God, then your opportunity today is to continue to trust in Him, to look to God and to be reconciled to Him, the one who has come to bring reconciliation and restoration to each and every one of us. You see, James would say that we endure because he is not finished. And he is not finished with us until we cross from this life into the next. And so my call to you would be to continue to endure, but endure in clinging tightly to the things of Christ. And James has a closing verse for us here, verse 12. And the third point is that we endure because God is with us. We endure because God is with us. Look with me at verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. You see, James here is calling the listeners to display honesty and integrity. And he's saying that you must display this honesty and integrity in front of everyone because maybe they're being tempted by a dishonest gain. You know, remember, these are the people that have been oppressed by the rich. And they're crying out for justice. They're wanting someone to come back and restore them. And one way to do that is perhaps to just be dishonest about things. So they may keep a little extra for themselves. Maybe they're just trying to accelerate the justice process. Maybe they're just saying that I want this restoration to come quicker than God would provide. James is telling us there's no need for this temptation to be present. You see, they're tempted to do this because they believe that justice is far, yet they've forgotten that God is near. You see, James calls them to display honesty and integrity because God is near and he's at work in this world. They've lost sight of him working in the, in the world, in their hearts and minds. And he's trying to bring them back into the fold. He's correcting them and saying, you must Come back, pay attention. Look at this properly. It's helpful to think of this like your vision being corrected. Uh, obviously, I wear glasses. You guys can see that. And when I wear glasses, it's helpful for me to have these. Uh, I can still see pretty clearly without them. But when, and Brian can attest to this from our years in college, when I don't have glasses on, I squint at things to bring them into focus. Uh, Brian has a great story he'll tell you later. He's a horrible friend, but he'll explain that later. But when I wear my glasses, it's help, helps them focus. And so one morning, I, I wake up and I hear the trash truck coming down the road, and I think, oh my goodness, we haven't taken the trash out. So I run downstairs, take the trash out, and from there, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back upstairs and get my glasses, right? I just run downstairs. This is good. But the kids are up. The kids are up, and now they need food. Because Perry's going to starve in an hour, right? Remember that. Uh, he, he, we're going to get food, right? And then as food starts, well, the workday starts. we got to do this, and i got to do that. i got to take care of things. And I go shower, and I go do this. And here we are three hours later, and I haven't put my glasses on yet. And I realize that as I'm sitting downstairs looking at my computer trying to work, thinking, why do I have a headache? Knowing good and well that I'm squinting at it like this, why does my head hurt? Oh, I don't have my glasses on. And throughout that entire process, I think to myself in that moment, 
I never intended for it to get this far. I never intended to get to this moment without my glasses. I never intended to get to this point. And James is warning us here in this passage, in verse 12 specifically, that these people have never intended to get to the point of being dishonest or unfaithful to God. Yet they're tempted by that in that moment. And what James would have us be reminded of, that just like my glasses, which are near to me upstairs, God is still near to us working in our midst. James is reminding them to be faithful, to display honesty and integrity, because God is still near working in this world. That you may endure because he is here with you in the midst of all these struggles and hardships. And James would have us remember that in order to patiently endure, it requires us to cling tightly to the cross of Christ. That, that is the point of what he's writing here in this passage, in this entire book. That in order to live in a way that brings honor and glory to Christ, you must first be found to be in proper position to him. That is, that you've repented of your sin, that you've trusted in the things of Christ. You cannot live the things of Christ if you're not a follower of Christ. And so as we look at this passage, we have a response to make. And today, each and every one of you are going to respond. That you are going to make a decision on the things of Christ today. That for some of you, you're going to look upon Jesus and say, I'm a faithful follower of Christ already. And I want to beg him to continue to work in my life. I want to humbly submit myself to him, repent of my sins, and trust in the finished work of Christ to sustain me to the end of my days. Others of you are not believers. You don't know this Christ. And you're going to look to him and you're going to say, I'm going to trust in him today. I'm going to cling to this gospel message that says there is hope in this life. I'm going to cling to this message that I can endure through this life, through sufferings and struggles and hardships, because there is something greater than me at work. I can endure this life because I know that when I close my eyes, I will open them in the new heavens and new earth with God in mind. That all my struggles and sorrows have meaning because they draw me closer to God. And yet there will be a third category where some of you will choose to reject this gospel message. That some of you will hear these words and you'll say, I don't need that in my life. I don't trust those things. That this is a mythical fairy tale. That this isn't real or true. This has no meaning. C.S. Lewis once remarked on the truth of the gospel and, and the person of Jesus. He said, as we look at Jesus, he has to be one of three things. A liar, a lunatic, or a lord. That if he's a liar, then you know, he, he made this up and things got a little bit out of hand. And you know what? It ended in a way he didn't anticipate. If he's a lunatic, then he's a crazy man. He's a wild one. And he just made this up and it's all in his head. And he just, again, it just got out of hand. But here's the truth of the gospel and the person of Jesus. That of the apostles who walked with him, all of them, except for perhaps John, died a martyr's death. And here's the thing that C.S. Lewis would have us understand. No man will willingly die for a lie. 
If it's a lie and it's made up, then they'll acknowledge that before death. And say, you know what? We made it up. It's a myth. We're sorry. In order to escape their fate. No man willingly dies for a lunatic. If you know someone is crazy, how dare you go forth and live that? And if we as rational people who are looking at the person of Jesus can acknowledge that perhaps he is not a liar, perhaps he is not a lunatic, that leaves us with one avenue in accepting that he is Lord. That for you and I today, there is one response to this message of reconciliation that God has brought us. And that's to cry out that he is Lord Almighty. That you and I today have opportunity to do this. And so as our band comes back up to lead us into a time of worship, they'll sing over us. They will allow us to gather together and to celebrate this beautiful gospel message. But furthermore, you'll have an opportunity to respond. That perhaps your response is to just simply sing this truth that you trust, that God is your all in all. Perhaps your response is to come talk to a pastor. I'll be right over here, available for you to talk, to pray with you, to counsel you, to just talk about what God is doing in your life. Maybe you want to sit there and pray for God to move in your midst. There are multiple responses here. But what I pray for you is that you'll trust and you'll listen to what God is saying. You'll listen to that movement in your heart and mind and acknowledge that there is something that is working in your midst today. That someone, that something is the person of Jesus Christ. So if you would, would you bow your head with me and go into a time of prayer? Father, we are grateful for you. We are thankful for the power of the cross of bringing reconciliation to us. That as we've tried to wrap our heads around this idea of patiently enduring in this life, there is one core central truth to this message. We will only endure if we're clinging tightly to the cross of Jesus. So, Father, let us, as 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 says, let us draw near to you. Let us trust and accept this reconciliation that's been provided. Let us cling tightly to the one who knew no sin was made so that we might know the righteousness of God. Let us cry out to King Jesus. Trust in Him as our Lord and Savior. And walk the rest of our days knowing that we are anchored to Him and Him alone. Father, we are grateful for You. We're grateful for the words of James. We're grateful, most importantly, for the finished work of Christ upon the cross to bring reconciliation to those who are far from You. May we respond today in faithfulness to You. And may You give us strength and wisdom to proclaim Your name. Lord, we are thankful for You. And we pray these things in the name of Christ.